Praise the Lord, church. <clears throat> I'll come up here just for a little while. It's good to be back here. Um, I really did appreciate the service thus far. I appreciated the time we had last year. Uh, so it's good to be back. I appreciate what we've been doing thus far. I always enjoy seeing a church that's willing to honor and celebrate different nations and uh, languages and cultures. It is truly a blessing uh, to be in that type of atmosphere. Uh, so first, giving honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the head of my life, the master of my existence, um, honoring my wife, uh, my queen, my rib, my earth, my moon. Uh, babe, I love you. And also honoring my children, honoring your pastor, Pastor Kent. Thank you for allowing me to uh, use your pulpit one more time. And honoring the elders and everybody who is involved. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So now that we got that out the way, we can um, be in and out. Genesis chapter 10. I'll read it again in your hearing. I'm going to read verse 1. I'll read verse 6. And then we'll pray and then we'll see what the Lord has to say. So Genesis chapter 10, verse 1 says, Now these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, the sons of Noah. The sons were born to them after the flood. Then verse 6, the sons of Ham were Cush and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. The title of this message, My God is Your God. My God is your God. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we are grateful to be in your presence. We thank you, God, for the blessings that you have given us this week, um, even in our life. We're asking, Lord, that, we, that you will gather with us. We are here to give you honor and glory. And while we recognize all that you've done through us, it would be a waste of time if we don't experience you for ourselves right now. So give us a word that we can hear, a word that is clear, uh, Lord, give us a mind to understand, a heart to accept, O oh God, um, as we hear your word and may it transform our life for your honor and glory till you return in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, how many of you know that we serve a big God? How many of you actually believe that God is great? Uh, we serve a God who is just so large, a God who is so amazing. It is still, I am, I'm always in awe when I think about how awesome and how big God truly is. You know, it's, it's amazing all the things that God has done in my life. And I don't know about you, but I can say for sure that my life is nothing more than a testimony of how big and amazing God is. And I am old enough and I'm blessed enough to interact with so many people to learn that the amazing God that I know isn't just amazing in my life, but he's been amazing in other people's lives. It, it, it brings me comfort to know that the miracles that I've experienced, I'm not the only one to have experienced them, but there are other people who have also experienced miracles from this same awesome and amazing God. It, it brings me comfort to know that God is not bound or limited by just me, because if he was only blessing me, he couldn't be that big. 
If he was only active in my life, he couldn't be that big. So it gives me comfort to know that he is out there blessing so many other people, taking care of so many other people, waking up so many other people, providing for so many other people, healing so many other people, loving so many other people because he is just that big. Even while I am standing here right now, even while we are gathering here right now, I can tell you that his presence is here with us right now. But our God is so big that he is also in the other places of worship right now, loving and gathering with his people because he's just that awesome. God is big. And it's a shame for us to serve such a big God and still have a limitation as to who he is the God of. For those of you who came last night, we discussed a little bit in uh, Revelation chapter 7, uh, we talked about the, the, uh, the seal of God. Well, not really the seal. We didn't even touch the seal of God. But uh, we talked about the 144,000 and how uh, Revelation 7 lets us know that the 144,000 comes from the nation of Israel. And then um, in Revelation chapter 7, it's broken down that the 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 of them were sealed from each of the tribes. And then it goes on and talks about a number that could not be numbered. So many people dressed in white that were overcomers. The scriptures are very clear that these people who were dressed in white, they did not come from Israel, but rather they came from all tribes and all tongues and all nations and all cultures. And they were all dressed in white. And when the question was asked, why were they dressed in white? The answer was because they overcame a number that could not be numbered. That's the amount of people that overcame. A number that human comprehension could not calculate. It was that many people that were washed in the blood of the lamb. And that just got me so excited to know that that many people have victory in Jesus Christ. And what I've learned now that in dealing with Genesis chapter 10, what I see here is the beginning of a new world. So let me try to help uh, catch some of you up. Um, and I know I know the church that I'm in. I know that we know the Bible very well. But I do want to make sure that everybody is on one accord. Is that all right? So here we are in Genesis chapter 10, where it talks about uh, uh, three sons, uh, the three sons of Noah, uh, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. And it is now about to break down the sons or the children. It says sons, but what it really means is lineage. It's the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of these three. It's about to break down the descendancy of these three. And these three are the children of Noah. And there was those four with their wives, meaning a completion of eight people that survived the great flood and the great flood was the flood that was designed to destroy all the wicked people are you with me so what we're seeing here is a new world the beginning of a new era where all the wicked people are lost and they're gone and they're destroyed and they're dead they're, they're out of here they're washed away literally washed away and now we have a group of people who know the true and living God. A group of people who can continue the population of the earth because God was so good to ensure their safety and their salvation. We're seeing here now a group of people, not, not a group who chose to go away from God, but a group who chose to follow God. And, and, and what I like about Hebrew writing, just to help some of you, 
The way that the Hebrew scriptures are written is just their style of writing. They like to give you a summary and then later on give you the details. For example, just to help kind of uh, uh, bring it to light, when it talks about the creation story, it first tells you all that God did in the seven days. Amen. And then it goes back and goes into details of what he did on the sixth day. It's just the way Hebrews write. They give you a quick snapshot of everything, maybe in case you get bored of reading it. You can know all that happened in the story. It gives you a snapshot of everything that happened, and then it goes back and it gives you the details. Because in the details, you can find the word of God. Somebody missed that. I'm going to have to say that one again. In the details, you can find the word of God. In the summary, you can see all that God did, but in the details, you will know exactly how God moved. I can tell you that he made a way out of no way in my life, and that would sound good, but just giving you the summary won't really entice you as when I tell you the details of how he made that way. See, it's one thing to say the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, and that sounds good, but when you hear the details of all that they've been through, it does something to you to know that this is how God works. Because the summary lets you know what God did, but in the details, hallelujah, you can find the word of God. So here they're giving us the summary of the genealogy now of this new world, a new world of righteous people. And, and, and when you read chapter 11, I'm going to come back because chapter 10, once again, is the summary. I think I've made that pretty clear. When you read chapter 11, you begin to hear of the story of the Tower of Babel. You guys know this story. And in the Tower of Babel, this is where the different languages came into existence. And I don't know if we, if we I don't know how our imaginations work, but I know for a long time we tend to have this belief or this idea. We have this belief or this idea that in actuality we are different people. Like for whatever reason, we actually believe somewhere fundamentally that we all come from somewhere different. We have this illusion of division that says that I am a completely different person, a, a completely different breed, if you will, of human than you. And the reality is the only reason why we look different and talk different and act different is because our descendancy has separated at some point. But that should let you know that at some point there was no separation. In other words, the separation that we see is merely a, 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 is a product of consequence and not evidence of intention. I need you to get this. Because it was never God's intentions that we be separated the way that we're separated. In other words, we are only separated, according to Genesis 11 at least, we're only separated because at some point those in our past decided to go against God. And their choosing to go against God forced God to now separate us to do the very thing he called us to do. God's intentions for humanity was that we would be one people that populated the entire world. One people that spoke one language under one God, but because... Because of the sins of those too old for us to even remember their name. Because of their sin after receiving a second chance. 
Okay, I, I, I wasn't going to go here, but I think I have to go here because it's amazing how God can wash away all the evil people and yet sin still seem to lurk in. You know, can I just, can I just, I wasn't going to go here, but I think we kind of have to go here because some of us, we really think that if God was to get rid of all the filthy stuff around us, then somehow our life would be perfect. If God was to solve all of our outside problems, if God was to get rid of all of our enemies, if God was to get rid of all of our bills, if God was to just give a, a clean slate, we believe that everything would be all right. But I've learned that God can give you a clean slate, but if he doesn't give you a clean heart, you will resurrect the very things God washed away. It's one thing to get rid of bad people, but Genesis teaches us that getting, bad, getting rid of bad people is not enough. Instead, God has to get rid of bad spirits. And if we understand what judgment truly is, judgment is not the wiping away of bad people. Because God has already proved that that is not a solution for the paradise that he intended for us. The judgment is getting away of bad hearts, bad spirits, those spirits that are truly not sold out to him. So what we see here in Genesis 11 is a resurrection of the very thing that God cleans up. But somewhere, okay, so now, now I can get back to Genesis 10. Because of our current understanding, our current context, we believe that in, in, in essence, we are different and separate people. But in reality, there is only one race, and that is the human race, and our confusion of understanding that causes us, not to get lower, causes us to actually believe that our mission is to tell somebody else about God. Okay, let me, let me, now, now we get into the good stuff, right? When you listen to the Christian narrative, it tells a story as if God only spoke to one group. When you, when you listen to the Christian narrative, it's as if the whole world was in darkness of who God was. We have this narrative that says if we don't get to them, then they won't know who God is. We create this idea somehow that if I don't get to my neighbor, my neighbor will never know Jesus. And we put the salvation burden on us. And we think because Jesus told us to go out and preach the gospel, that means the gospel won't be preached unless we go. But the reality is when Jesus said go and preach the gospel, he was inviting us to do the thing God was doing anyway. <laughs> because if God really needed us to preach the gospel, God would be in some big trouble. <laughs> if God was waiting on us to get out of our comfort zone and to sacrifice every good thing that we enjoy so somebody else can get to know Jesus, then no one would get to know Jesus. Can I get, can I get truthful here? You guys already know me. I'm very truthful anyway. I'm, I'm not really asking for permission. I'm going to do it anyway, right? But most of the people who are a part of the church today, in all of Christendom, not just Seventh-day Adventism, but specifically in Seventh-day Adventism, most of the people, what, what word did I use? Most. Right. Not all, but most. So that means there's room for the exception. Right. OK. Most of the people who are in the church today were born in the church. In other words, the only thing that's keeping the church alive 
is reproduction. So, so, so let me say it this way. If we stop having kids, we would stop having a church. Because somewhere along the lines, we stopped going out there to tell them about Jesus. And we got real comfortable being in here celebrating Jesus. But what brings me good news is that God is not waiting for me to go out there. He's inviting me to go out there, but he's not waiting on me to go out there. Okay, let me, I got to help you. I got to help you, right? So I made a decision. This is just me. I made a decision. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, but whatever, right? I made a decision that for my 30s, because I'm 31, and for my 30s, every year for my 30s, I'm going to throw a birthday party for me until I'm 40. I made that decision. You know, when I was, when I was younger, birthday parties stopped around seven or eight years old, right? Once, once Chuck E. Cheese got boring, that was it. No more birthday parties. It was, it was over at that point. And, you know, I didn't care. I didn't have birthday parties. Then one day, maybe, I don't know, it's like something psychological happens when you turn 30. It's like you just start realizing, oh, I'm getting up there a little bit, right? And then it kind of dawned on me that I only have so many birthdays to celebrate. Like, it just, it just clicked one day. Like, wait a minute. This, I can't do this forever. Like, at some point. And I don't know when that point will be. So I said, you know what? I'm going to throw a party every year for my birthday. Now, now the, the first year, uh, oh, and, and the other stipulation is the party's going to be at a different location every year. So when I turned 30, I went to Orlando for my birthday. Then when I turned 31, I went to Atlanta. And then for my 32nd birthday, I'm telling you, you're not invited. I'm just telling you. <laughs> for my 32nd birthday, I'm going to Las Vegas. And then 33rd, I might go to Colorado or something in a log cabin. I don't know, just something different every year for my 30s. Now, I have a group of friends that I invite, like my closest friends. I invite my, my closest. That's why you're not invited, because we're not that close yet. But I invite my closest friends to my birthday party. Now, now, here's the kicker. I invite them. But whether they come or not, I'm still going. See, you guys missed that. Because I invited probably about 30 people to Orlando. And about six of us probably showed up. And we still had a birthday party. I invited maybe about, well, about 20 this time because I knew who the flakes were after the first year. Invited about 20 to Atlanta, and then even less showed up. <laughs> and we still had a birthday party. Because the invitation doesn't mean I'm depending on you. I'm just inviting you. And somehow we got twisted in our minds that the invitation Jesus Christ gave us to preach the gospel means that he's depending on us to preach the gospel. But the, the people that we're reaching... They're already God's people to begin with. We don't, when we go out there and preach the gospel, we're not telling them about a God that they don't know. We're reminding them about a God that they should already have encountered. So let me now take it to Genesis to kind of help bring this narrowed in. So we read now that there's three people, three sons uh, that, that Noah had given birth to. And these three sons were birthed before the flood. These three sons, uh, Sham, Ham, and Jephthah, were birthed before the flood. But, but God decided to save Noah and his family. And if you're very careful and you read Genesis chapter 6, the salvation of Noah and his family had nothing to do with the righteousness of his family, had everything to do with the favor that Noah had with God. You can go back and read it for yourself. Grace has always been the determining factor of salvation. 
from the beginning. So now these three brothers, these three uh, children, they knew who God was. They, they knew who he was. Now, when we read the scriptures, we read it in the Hebrew language. And once again, our assumption, we may not say it out loud, but our assumption is Hebrew has always been there. We assume that must have been what Noah was speaking or that must have been uh, uh, what Adam was speaking. We don't say it, but it's kind of our assumption, even the name of God that we don't really use in Christianity. But even the name of God, our assumption is that's what his name has always been, because we don't understand how language works. The name that we call him in Hebrew is just that is the Hebrew name for God. And our assumption is that any name that doesn't match the Hebrew name is not the same God. Oh, now we now now we hitting something hard. Now we hitting something hard. So when you go back to Genesis, there wasn't even a Hebrew in sight yet. Okay, maybe you didn't know that Noah wasn't a Hebrew. Y'all probably didn't know that. Quick Bible trivia. Let's see who knows who who's the father of the Hebrews. Abraham. Thank you, Abram. And if you read, you don't even read about Abraham, Abraham or Abram at the time. You don't read about him until Genesis eleven. And if you go back to Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, when he chose Israel, because this is where this nonsense comes from, because the Bible says he chose Israel. You go back to Deuteronomy 7, 7. He said, I didn't choose you because you were greater than everybody else. I actually chose you because you were the least of everybody else. Because the reality is the Hebrews were the last. The Hebrews were the last of a nation to raise up at the time and know about this true and living God. So let me give you some history. I got to help you out here. If you read uh, Genesis chapter 6, you read about a man named Ham. Okay, let me, let, let me teach, because I, I, I could teach here. You guys can handle some information. So let me teach a little bit here, right? So the world is populated by these three individuals, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. You can trace everybody back to those three. Every group of people can be traced back to those three. Now, of course, those three had kids, and those kids had kids, and those kids had kids, and that's how these nations arise. But they all can, all of us can trace ourselves back to one of those three. And if we want to get technical, our beginning point is Noah. So if you want to unify all of us, we don't even have to say we're all children of Adam. We can say we're all children of Noah. He's the great father of our people. He's the great father of humanity. So we see Shem. Well, yeah, I'll do with Shem first. We see Shem. Shem is the one who migrated kind of to the east. He's the, he's the great father, if you will, of the Asian nations and the, what we call um, Middle Eastern. And I won't even get into that debate right now. But that's, they're all Shemites, if you will. Everybody say Shemites. Good. They, they're all Shemites, if you will. And then Jepheth, his, his descendants, they, they migrated kind of up north into Europe and into the mountains and all of that. So that's where you get Ireland and all of them. That, that comes from Jepheth. And this is just history. I'm just teaching you history. That comes from Jepheth. That's, that's his people. And then, then you have Ham, his descendants, pretty much populated all of Africa. That, that's where Ham's uh, descendants came. And, and when did they move? Let's see. When did they move? When did they decide to separate? It was very simple. At the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel is when they finally decided to move, because before then, they were all staying in one group, and God said, I need you to be fruitful and multiply. I need you to go populate the earth, and they were just staying in one group, and while they were in one group, they decided to attack God, and God said, I need you to do what I told you to do. So he created language which confused them, caused them to move to different areas, and now do the work that God called them to do. I don't know why we believe that when they moved to different areas, somehow they forgot about God. 
It's an assumption that we make the Bible never says. We assume that everyone who is not a Hebrew didn't know who God was, but Abraham, Abraham had to learn about God from someone. Okay. I didn't think I had to do this, but I, may, I might have to do this. So go back. I just want, I mean, we, we all study the Bible, right? I hope we still study the Bible. Okay. So if you go back and you read about Abraham, Genesis 15, Abraham is told to go where? To Canaan. Okay, yeah. Abraham was told, or Abram, his name wasn't changed yet. Abram was told to go to Canaan, right? You go back to the chapter before that, you would actually read that that was his father's destination to begin with. Terah was supposed to go to Canaan, but Terah ended up somewhere else and died there. So God then told Abraham, you need to go to Canaan. So we thought Abraham just got this call out of nowhere. No, he responded, he responded to the voice of God because he already knew who God was. He already knew who God was. The instruction that God gave him was no different than the instruction that was already passed down to him. Are you hearing me? I don't know if you guys are hearing me because it might be too, you know, too much like in your face, right? So we think when we go out there, we tell someone about Jesus that we're giving them something new, but we're actually confirming something that God has already been telling them. Because when you go to Genesis, okay, because we have a tendency as a Christian group, as a group, as a group, right? So in this group, we have individuals who won't do what I'm about to say. And every time I say something that is collective, the individuals be like, that's not me. I'm like, well, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your group around you. Okay, right. So as Christians, we have a tendency to demonize every other culture, every other nation that does not trace its lineage to Abraham. We have a tendency to demonize whatever they do as devil worship. We even speak in the narrative that they didn't serve God, that they served nature. And that they served the devil and that they were ignorant of the true and living God. And this is the language that we speak without any proof from the Bible. Without any evidence from the scriptures. In fact, if you read the scriptures, you see completely opposite. And the reason why I chose verse 6 as our second text, because in verse 6, you see Ham had four kids. I'm only going to talk about two. The two first ones. He had Cush and Mizraim. Now, the way the Bible works is we know that Cush and Mizraim were the first two born of Ham, meaning they were one of the oldest out of all of the nations. They were one of the oldest because they all had kids, but they were one of the oldest out of all the nations, Cush and Mizraim. And they were the, the, the first born after the flood of Ham, which means if anybody knew about the true and living God, they knew. Now, Jephthah had some firstborns that knew. And Shem had some firstborns that knew. So I'm not trying to, to ignore them. I want to bring a point with Ham specifically. Because when we talk about Cush and Mizraim, what we're talking about is Ethiopia and Egypt. Now, intrinsically, we have been taught that everything that came from Egypt is demonic. We have been taught that if it came from Egypt, because the Egyptians were the ones who enslaved the people of Israel. 
So y'all may not want to be honest about it, but I know it's true anyway. Everything that comes from Egypt, we have been taught by default that it's automatically not of God. Without any investigation, without any proof, if it's Egyptian, it's wrong. If it's Ethiopian, it's wrong. You know, how many of you believe in the Babylonian religion? Right, none of you. Exactly. Because Babylonian religion is wrong. And I'm not here to say everything they did is right. You know, we have a tendency to assume the reverse. You know, a lot of us, we tend to live a life of assumptions. We, 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 what wasn't said, we say was said by what was said. Some of y'all, y'all didn't even get that. What wasn't said... You said what said by what was said. In other words, I said that the, Babylon, the Babylonians, oh, I didn't say this yet. The Babylonians come from Ethiopia, come from Cush, which means the Babylonians knew something about God. But our understanding of that, we can never understand that because we assume that everything that Nebuchadnezzar did is a reflection of all Babylonian history. We assume that what Pharaoh did to the children of Israel is a reflection of all Egyptian history. So we take one Pharaoh or we take one Babylonian king and we take the practices of some Egyptians or we take the practices of some Ethiopian kings or Babylonian kings and we say this is what Egypt looks like or this is what Ethiopia looks like. Can I help you? Can I really help you? Because I want you to understand the danger in that in international Sabbath. I want you to understand the danger in that. That's like me taking the few racist white people and say all white people are racist. If I judge the group because of a smaller subgroup, I'm the one who's ignorant. And likewise, if it doesn't come from the Jews or if it doesn't come from Rome, as Adventists as we are, if it's not connected to what we know as Christian, we automatically demonize it. But the truth is, all nations know something about God. Before there was an Abraham, God was speaking to the nations and to the world. Before there was an Abraham, people were faithful to God. Can I give you some more Bible? Because I know where I'm at. I'm in an Adventist church. You're not going to just take anything. You need Bible for it. I completely understand it. You guys know the story of, of, of the prophet, um, how do you pronounce his name? Balaam. You guys know the prophet Balaam? He's the one who was striking the donkey. You guys know that story? Okay, I'll, I'll still teach it for those of you who may not know the story. So, Children of Israel, they were free in the Exodus. They were walking and moving in the Exodus, and, and they were conquering nations that they shouldn't be able to conquer because they didn't have an army like that. The miracle, the favor of God was just on them. So the Moabites saw them on their way, and they said, oh, we got to stop them. So the Moabites called Balaam. I want you to understand. Israel, okay. Israel, can I move this sacred? Can I move this? No one's going to get mad if I touch this. Because I know how it's not like the communion table, nothing. I could. All right. So this is Israel, right? This is, say hi, Israel. All right, this, that's Israel. They just escaped Egypt. Balaam is over here looking at Israel. That means Balaam wasn't a part of Israel. That would mean because Israel's over there, he's not a part of them, he's, he's outside of Israel. And Israel doing their thing. Now the king, the Moabite king calls Balaam, says, I need you to curse those people. Go back and check your scriptures. 
When they go to Balaam, Balaam says, well, I got to check with the Lord first. How, how would he know that name? He, he wasn't a part of Israel. How, how, would he, how would he know that God? He wasn't a part of Israel. How, how could he inquire of a God that only Israel knew about? Maybe Israel wasn't the only ones who knew about him. And he couldn't curse them because the Lord wouldn't let him. He was a greedy prophet. Won't take that away from him. He was very greedy. He wanted more money, so he kept trying. I ain't mad at him. But at the end of the day, what the Lord said, that's all he could speak. And he called the Lord out by name. I know in our English version, we just see the Lord, so we don't know. He's using Yahweh. He calls him out by name and says, I have to check with Yahweh because just because he wasn't a part of this group doesn't mean he didn't know anything about the true and living God. And that's the point. We can celebrate all these nations. We can celebrate all these flags. We can celebrate all of these cultures because not only did Jesus bring us all together, but it was God's intention for us to be together in the first place. All Jesus did, can I make it real plain? All Jesus did was fulfill the intentions of God. Oh, how beautiful is that? That we were never supposed to look at each other as devil worshipers because I'm from Spain and you're from Ireland or whatever the case is. It wasn't supposed to be, oh, well, I'm not used to that, so that must not be of God. That wasn't the case. They came up to be, where did you get that from? Oh, that sounds just like the God that I serve. You know, it's funny because when you read, I don't know how many, because, you know, Adventist, we get real nervous when it talks about reading about other people's beliefs. I don't know why, right? But when you read other people's beliefs and then you hear them talking about their, their little demigods, their smaller gods, and, we, you know, all of us who know Jesus, we say, but we don't need that. We call on one name, so we don't got to memorize all these names because we call on one name, right? His name is Jesus. But all of them have this God who is, like, so big and so great and so awesome and so mighty, this God who is the fairest of the fair, this, this God that nothing can, can corrupt them, you know, like this, this huge deity that is just like no one can get. And like every, everything that has a spiritual system recognizes this bigness of this one thing. And the truth is they're telling the truth. They're actually, and our job is to say, oh, yeah, you know that big God, he descended as a man and died for you. We're supposed to be the ones to let them know, yeah, that God, he came on earth. He chose Israel to come into this earth, but he died for all of us, and he rose again for all of us. This God, this big God who you think you can touch, he came down and touched you. That's our job. Because they know about God. You know, the Bible says only a fool would say there is no God. It doesn't say only an unbeliever. It says only a fool. Anyone with some form of intelligence, anyone with some, some eye, some ability to perceive truth knows that a God exists. We don't have to go around and convince people of a God who's already convinced himself to them. He's already made himself known to them. Our job is merely to testify of how he manifests on their behalf. Our job is merely to share with them, yeah, this big God loves you so much that he wanted to ensure your salvation. He's always been your God. Let me tell you something. God, if, if our God is only the God of Abraham and not the God of anyone else, he's not God. It's too small. 
If our God is only the God of Israel and not the God of Ireland, he's not God. He's too small. If our God is only the God of the USA and he's not the God of North Korea, he's too small. And at some point, we need to share with the world, my God is your God. And you need to act like you know who God is. You know, when we let people know that this higher power, this relationship, I mean, it is, I'm just, I'm like, <laughs> I'm sweating just to think about how awesome it is to know an unlimited, uh, just, just all-powerful God, and I have access to him. When I can share with other people that you have access to I can teach you how to get, you know, there are so many people, all they want to know is how to get to the God that they know about. Am I hearing me? They're not ignorant. They're not ignorant. Something in them says there has to be something bigger. There has to be something greater. They can feel it. They can sense it, but they don't know how to get to it. A Christian's job is not to convince them of that. The Christian's job is to share with them how to have access. We have access. Well, maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you got so consumed with your own problems, you forgot you have access to this great God. Maybe because nothing's changed in your life, you forgot that you have access to this awesome and magnificent God. And it has nothing to do with your race or your creed or your nationality or any of that. It has everything to do with the blood of Jesus that you've accepted. All right. So here's my appeal. Well, here's my charge and then here's my appeal. My charge, I really charge you, I charge you to not make the devil the default of everything that's uncomfortable to you. That's my charge. I charge you to not make the devil the default of everything that's uncomfortable to you. Because the danger in that, that makes you the standard of God. That's the very reason why the Pharisees stoned Jesus or killed Jesus. They killed Jesus because he made them uncomfortable. And we have a tendency to crucify those things that are of God simply because they make us uncomfortable. My charge for all of you is you stop making the devil the default of those things that make you uncomfortable. My second charge is that you learn how to investigate those things that make you uncomfortable. That you learn how to, how to find your assumptions, your presuppositions, very big word, right? That you learn how to figure out what it is you just thought for no reason and for no evidence. You would find out that we have more in common than we do that actually separates us. You know, I, okay, I, 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 I promise you I'm done, but I just got to share this. So, um, the, the first African country I've been to was Ghana. Ghana was the first African country I've been to. At the time, I was the only one, right? Because it was the first one. And I had fun. I went to Ghana many times, and I love Ghana. Ghana is beautiful. I love it. It's the food, the culture. And, but, you know, one of the reasons why I loved Ghana so much was because Ghana reminded me a lot of Haiti. There's a lot of things that, that Ghanaians do that Haitians do, you know? And then, of course, through history, you learn that Haitians are nothing more than West Africans brought to another place. That's all, that's all Haiti really is. So it makes perfect sense. It makes, well, yeah, duh, of course I'm comfortable here. This is like home. They're, they're the same people. We just into, as I go in New York and Jersey, it's the same. It's really the same, but, you know, still different, right? So I went to Zimbabwe not too long ago. When I went to Zimbabwe, my expectations was that Zimbabwe was going to be like Ghana. 
Because my presupposition, my assumption, I knew better knowledge-wise, but I didn't really know better internally. You know, it's Africa, so it should all kind of be the same, which is so ignorant. But, you know, that's how I was just thinking. So it should all, you know, so it would be the same. And then, and then I, I go to Zimbabwe, it's very different. Very different. In, in Ghana, they eat a lot of rice. In Zimbabwe, they don't eat as much rice. In, 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 in Ghana, they had plantain. And I was asking them in Zimbabwe, you guys eat plantain? No, we don't, we don't really have plantain down here. They eat more maize in Zimbabwe. We didn't really have that much maize in Ghana. Now, I know I'm focusing on food because that's always my focal point everywhere I go. It's the food. <laughs> always my focal point. So I'm here in Zimbabwe, and what I had to learn how to do, I had to learn how to appreciate Zimbabwe for who they were. Not to compare them to who they're not. I missed that. I had to appreciate them for who they were. And it didn't take me long, right? I just said, okay, let me get a taste of Zimbabwe. And I got a taste of Zimbabwe. You know what? Zimbabwe is beautiful. First time I ever touched a giraffe was in Zimbabwe. You know, it was like, it's a beautiful thing. I saw actual lions. I drove next to them. Of course, I, I stayed in the car, right? <laughs> I didn't touch a lion, but I was close enough to touch one. Zimbabwe, it's very beautiful. I learned so much about history in Zimbabwe. And my point is, Zimbabwe is no less or more beautiful than Ghana. They're both beautiful, though they're both very different. Though I expected to see, and you know, the, the similarity between the two was nothing more than their hospitality towards me. The love they expressed to me was wow. Different cultures, different practices. I mean, I go on and on about the differences. But what had them the same was the love they shared towards me, making sure I was taken care of, making sure I was comfortable. So learn to investigate those things you're ignorant of. It doesn't mean you're, you're evil because you don't know any better. Just learn to investigate it. Before you assume that someone's of the devil, why don't you get to know them? Why don't you get to know it? Before you assume a practice is of the devil, why don't you get to know what the practice is actually about? You'll be surprised. Can I, can I tell you this last point? This might get me in trouble, but who cares? I already went over, right? You know, a lot of times we say that they worship, we say they, right? We use they because we think we're separate from them. We say they worship gods that they don't actually worship. When, when I study Egyptian religion, some, because everybody's not the same. You can't, you can't put everybody in one umbrella, right? But it's actually a form of, of Egyptian religion where the gods and goddesses that we say they worship, they say only a fool would worship them. Say these gods and goddesses are illustrations of who we are and who God is. So no, we don't worship them. And I was shocked. I was actually very surprised. I've never heard that before. I was always taught that the Egyptians worshiped many gods. I've been taught that my whole life. And then you go to them and they say, no, we, we, we believe in one God. And when an Egyptian told me that, now they're not Christian, not a Christian Egyptian, because the assumption is, oh, they believe in one God, they must be Christian, or they must be Muslim. No, they're not Christian, they're not Muslim. They are Egyptian, practicing native Egyptian spiritual stuff, and they tell me, no, I only worship one God. And it, like, blew my mind. Well, what about Ryan? What about that? Oh, those are just illustrations. My whole prayer, I couldn't even process. I'm like, you're lying to me. You're trying to, you're, you're trying to deceive me so I, so I can like you. I will not be deceived, right? The truth is many of them already know the truth. If they're ignorant of anything, they're only ignorant of Jesus, and that's where we come in. We teach them the work of Christ. Is that all right? Can we do that? So whatever country you come from, you may want to re reinvent 
Oh, Jesus, I don't want to go any longer, Jesus. You may want to revisit your history because there's something that you may have rejected thinking it was demonic, and it wasn't demonic, it just wasn't European. So you may have to take another look at it. And it may be something worthwhile. Let's pray. Let's pray. I'm done. Father God in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that your God, that, that you are the God of me, and you're the God of them, and you're the God of everyone. You're not limited to any one group. No one group owns you. No one group has control over you because you're the creator of all of these groups. At the end of the day, you are the source of life, the source of being. You are the source of language. You are the source of culture. And yes, things may get corrupted along the way. But praise be to you, oh God, that at the essence of all of this culture, we can find you. And if we're looking through the lens of Jesus, it should be easy to find you in the midst of all of these cultures. Help us. God, I'm pleading, I'm interceding for all of us. Help us to change our lens, to realize that Egypt in and of itself is not demonic. Africa in and of itself is not demonic. India in and of itself is not demonic. Europe in and of itself is not demonic. None of these groups, none of these places in and of themselves are demonic. They may have done some demonic things. Some people may have went astray. But ultimately, you have a remnant in every one of these groups that know you and that love you. Help us to believe that, God. So when we interact with someone, we don't respond to them negatively because they come from a place that make us uncomfortable. But we can learn to look at them with the lens of Jesus and say he died for them too. That we're not trying to pull them into some random fold, but they are the fold. Help us to remind them of that. Help us to remind ourselves of that. For when we feel separated from you, help us, to, help us Lord, remind us that nothing can separate us from your love. And may that be the motivation that compels us to love everyone else equally. May we truly manifest the kingdom, your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Do that for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for what we have learned. We thank you for what we've experienced. We ask that you will be with us. May your blessings go where we go. May we uh, depart from each other, but never from your presence, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.